Our Old Testament reading is taken from Genesis 1, 26 to 31, which can be found on page 4 of your Bibles. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, please turn with me to the book of Colossians. Uh, we'll be in the book of Colossians for a little while. Uh, and this morning's reading is going to be found on page 1182 of your pew Bibles. We will be talking, I will be talking this morning about verses 12 through 18, but for the sake of continuity, I'm just going to go ahead and start reading in verse 9. Uh, so please join with me in reading verse 9 through 18 in the first chapter of Colossians. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things, on, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. 
This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I hope everyone had a nice Christmas and New Year's, wherever you found yourself. Uh, As I mentioned, I was lucky enough to go and be with family and um, now dealing with a jet-lagged four-month-old, which is just a wonderful joy. Um, But, you know, it really was a special season for me this year. Um, You know, I found myself being especially thankful for many things. And, And I hope, too, that the Lord revealed to you many things in this Advent season. Because to have this season come and go with with just presents and food, though the food was tremendous, um, we miss something. Even today, you know, we sing We Three Kings, and and oftentimes we think, well, that's a Christmas song. Christmas is over. Well, 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 one, it's it's the day we celebrate the Epiphany when the the Magi came to visit Jesus. But two, we realize that that Christmas is just the reminder of something that motivates us year-round as Christians. Christmas is, is just this annual celebration of something that is on our minds and hearts daily. And this morning, and in future weeks, we're going to talk about this idea of who Jesus is. This, this morning, we're focusing specifically on the word image. What is the image of Jesus? What is this passage teaching us? But as the weeks go on, we're going to go through Paul's letter to the Colossians and really talk about this Jesus. And why this Jesus matters so much. And then in Lent, we're going to continue to talk about Jesus, about his commands to us through different things he commanded his church to do. And so this morning, we're going to focus on verses 12 to 18 in Paul's letter to the Colossians, the first chapter. And we're going to see a little bit more about this image Jesus has been made in. And the first thing we see is Paul writing this letter to the, the, the church in Colossae in modern-day Turkey. And he's writing this letter, and he's, he's giving thanks for them, right? He's, he's grateful for who they are. He knows them. He's visited them. He's been in ministry with them. But there's some encouragement that needs to be done. And he says to them in verse 12, as he begins to exhort them and, and encourage them, he says, I give, we should, or we should be giving joyful thanks to the Father. Why should we be giving joyful thanks? Why should we be people who go through life with thanksgiving? Because he's sharing with us a tremendous gift. And the gift he says here is that he is sharing his inheritance with us. He is qualifying us for this kingdom. Now, to say that we are now being qualified for this kingdom denotes something very important. (laughs) That without Christ, that without God, we are not qualified for this kingdom. In fact, we are specifically unqualified. We have tried and have failed. You know, in the same way, we cannot just show up and run a race at the Olympics. We need to qualify. And many, many people try and fail. And the Apostle Paul says here to the church in verse 12, we give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in his inheritance with his holy people. He has qualified us. He has added us into his inheritance, added us into the fold, made us part of the inner circle, which is what? The kingdom of light. A kingdom where Christ's light shines and there doesn't need to be any darkness. For verse 13, for he has rescued us from this dominion of darkness. 
So not only were we unqualified, but Paul's actually saying, no, no, he not only has qualified you, but he's done all the work to get you there. See, not only are you now qualified to come into this kingdom of light, but he's actually done the legwork. He's rescued you already. He has shown you the way to find this kingdom of light into this kingdom that he says is of the Son. How often do we forget that we actually need rescuing? How often do we as people forget on a daily basis that we actually need saving? This may be the biggest problem we face today when telling others about Jesus. Or maybe this is a a stumbling block you have in your relationship with Jesus. That we've gotten so comfortable in our abilities and our things and the the blessings around us that we've actually forgotten that we need God. We've forgotten that we are not qualified to be with God on our own. We've become so independent, we've become so full of ourselves that we think this life is just about being a good person. Let's just try our best. You know, one of my favorite things to do is to watch these videos people make where they go around on the street and they interview people. You know, just random strangers. Hey, what do you think of heaven? What do you think of hell? And I watched a couple this morning as I was getting ready with my coffee, and and it just cracks me up because, you know, people just, they want to make themselves feel so good. And so they come up with all of these things I just can't understand. You know, a lot of it's about being a good person. You know, but, but you get a lot of people these days talking about, well, the key to getting to heaven is just having good energy. You know, just putting good energy out in the world, and then good energy comes back to you, and... And I'm sitting there reading this verse in Colossians thinking, that's not really what the Apostle Paul or Jesus thought. Paul is very clearly saying, no, we need to be rescued. And this is something we cannot do on our own. You have been offered a rescue. And it's something you cannot do on your own. And this rescue not only just saves you from the dominion of darkness, but it gives you the kingdom of God. Remember what Jesus said when he started, what John the Baptist said when they started, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. He's offering it to us now. And then in verse 14, it's in this son, in this kingdom of the son whom God loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. How great is this God that not only does he rescue us, he shares with us his inheritance, but then forgives all of our transgressions. He does not hold them over us. He does not rank us according to who has less from their previous life. He actually washes it all away, forgives our sins, and gives us his inheritance as if we were a firstborn son. And this analogy, this metaphor Paul is using is so great because he continues it here to talk about what this means, this inheritance in verse 15. And this passage in Colossians, many of you are familiar with it because it is such a vital passage to understand the person of Jesus. He says this in verse 15, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. This is really important this firstborn over all creation. You remember in the Old Testament, the prophet, talks about, the prophet Isaiah talks about this, and it's throughout the Old Testament that none of us can really see God, right? 
Moses sees his back. You know, some people see the edges of his garment. In the Old Testament, they had, in the temple, they had the veil to separate God from the people. That no one really sees God because we just can't. We're just not holy enough. God is just too great, too mighty, and we are too stuck in our sin. And, and Jesus, it says, was the image of that God. God sent Jesus so that we could see an image of God that walked among us, that showed us how God would live, that showed us how God would care and love other people on this earth as a man. The very presence of God, the firstborn of creation, dwelled among us. But, but see, this is, uh, Paul is using a metaphor of inheritance, which is why he uses this term firstborn. The word firstborn is, is an allusion to verse 12 where he talks about this inheritance and says that Christ is like the firstborn child of God, the, the one who deserves everything from God. He's the one who deserves all that God has to offer as the firstborn. What this passage is not saying, and this is very important distinction to make, is that Christ was the first created being, that Christ was part of God's creation. What this is not saying is that Jesus Christ is a lesser God or created by God. It is saying that Jesus Christ is like the firstborn. And this is a big distinction to make. Because if you look at verse 16, he elaborates. He says, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. All things were created through Christ. So when we were reading in Genesis and God says, let, man, let us create God in our own image, he is talking about he and Christ and the Spirit. But, but what he's saying here is not that Jesus Christ was created, was begotten at some point, but that Christ has always been. And there are those, you know, who would believe that this passage says, well, actually, no, Christ was part of the created order. And now, some of you may be familiar with the Jehovah's Witnesses or other Christian groups that believe this, that Jesus Christ was created. Um, I, I credit the Jehovah's Witnesses and their persistence in evangelism for their unity, for a lot of things that they, they, they've committed to. But, but, but their theology, I vehemently, and we as Christians in what we call Christian orthodoxy, vehemently disagree. Jesus Christ was not part of the created order, but Jesus Christ has always been with God and always will be with God. And the Apostle Paul here is telling the Colossian church not that he is the first created thing as the firstborn, but that he is like the firstborn. He is deserving of all of God's goodness. He is deserving of God's inheritance. He is the only one deserving this inheritance God is offering but shows the goodness of God that he would invite us in on this inheritance. That Jesus Christ is so good and so loving and so merciful that he does not take this gift for himself, but instead opens it to all of us. And in verse 17, Paul affirms this all the more, saying that all things together are actually still holding together in Christ. Not only were they just created through Christ and for Christ, but he is holding all things together. We must remember that Christ did not die, but he rose from the dead and he still lives. And that this Jesus Christ, this image of God who we worship, who walked the earth, is still sitting at the right hand of God, holding all things together, caring for us, nurturing us, 
caring for his church whom he loves so dearly. Which he says then in verse 18 that this Christ is our leader, is the head of this body, the church, and we are his. So the question, the title of the sermon is, who is Jesus? What is this image? This is God revealing himself to us. This is no major new truth you've never heard before, but this is something we all must remember each and every day. That we, through nothing we can do, have any right to this inheritance. There is no deed someone can do. There is no good energy someone can throw out into the world to gain the kingdom of God. That in this example of inheritance, there is no law demanding equal shares. It is all Christ's. And yet Christ is so gracious that he has decided to share it with us. And so I want to point out two very important things to remember as we think about what to do with this in our life. First, let us remember what we read in Genesis, that we are made in God's image. You know, oftentimes when we think about these things and we preach about grace and how we cannot earn our way to heaven, sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can feel a little beaten down. Like I'm garbage, I'm filth, there's nothing good inside of me. No, there is a lot good inside of us. We were made in the image of God and God designed us for a very specific purpose. That we were made to be in communion with God. Think of Adam and Eve. I know I've said this before many times, but Adam and Eve knew what it was like to walk and talk with God. They're the only people on earth besides Jesus who got that right. They walked and they talked with their God and there was no separation. And they were made in the image of God and so too do we bear that image. God designed us for this communion, but because of our choices, because of our selfish desires, because of the things we have done, it has kept us separate. And that is what their sin did, and that is what we know to be true. It is sin, it is our choices that put the veil between us and God. And we, in our foolishness, really, in our choosing to live in darkness... Like in the children's sermon, instead of reading in the light, we choose to read in the dark and just try to figure it out. We are the ones who keep that separation up. We are the ones, even though we are made in the image of God, that try to separate ourselves from God. Which is why we pray a prayer of confession, which is why we gather together in corporate worship to do these things. Because our rebellion robbed us of the inheritance of the kingdom of light. We were made in his image to be with God, but have sort of failed to uphold that image, haven't we? Like Adam and Eve, we have fallen well short. And in the Genesis passage, which I love about that passage, which we've all read so many times, is that Jesus was there at the beginning. (laughs) Jesus was there and knew what he would have to do. Jesus knew in his love for Adam and Eve and their descendants that he would share his inheritance with us despite our foolishness. Because we serve a loving God who wants to be reconciled to us. And so then, as we study, as we read, as we know with Christmas, as we've read in John chapter 1, that the word became flesh, Jesus came among us as a man. And even though, like Adam and Eve, he knew what it was to have communion with God, he was without sin. To show us the image of God. 
to show us what that image actually could do, to show us what that image could actually do to this world and in the people's lives around us. It wasn't just to set an example, but it was to bring perfect love to this world. And so then, we desire to live as he lived. We desire to love as he loved. We look to the image of Christ, we read about it in Colossians, and we trust in his supremacy as the head of the church. He is our boss. What has he laid out for us? What has he told us? Who has he said he is? And what commands has he given us? Because we see through his life the light that has been brought to this world. First to us, right? First we must find it for us because if we do not accept this grace Christ has offered us, how in the world could we ever share it with someone else? Otherwise we may find ourselves thinking more highly than we ought of ourselves. Many Christians, we've forgotten that we need God's grace every day. And we simply look at others, and I confess I am very guilty of this, we simply look at others and and, and judge or think we are better than another person simply because we've accepted Christ's grace. But the very act of looking at someone and saying we're better than them has proven to us that we've forgotten about God's grace. When we see a broken individual, when we see hurt, when we see pain, when we see violence, we should be on our knees in prayer that they would find the same grace we have found. We should be in confession, in prayer, as we were this morning, daily, in repentance, as Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is here. It's not coming later. It's not going to be available to you at some other juncture. It is available to you now. God has offered rescue to you Now, God has offered freedom from the darkness. Now. Oh, no thanks, Jesus. I don't need a light. I'm just going to sit here in the dark. Jesus came to this world so that we would know God. And that is our motivation. Do you ever wonder what motivates people? I love people watching. To me, on a sunny day... Sometimes there's nothing better than just sitting down by the lake and watching people. Because I always wonder this. And again, I try not to judge. But so after I get past just sort of the the comedy of how different everyone is, I always wonder, what motivates people? Like, like why did that guy get out of bed this morning? What's driving him? what What is the most important thing in that young person's life? What motivates people? You ever wonder that? I mean, for me, because I think, gosh, if it weren't for Jesus, I I don't know if I'd even get out of bed in the morning. I mean, for success, okay, sure. I mean, I can work really hard. I I can be as successful as I want. But if I'm just doing it for success's sake, is that enough? Maybe money, maybe prestige, maybe power, maybe relationship, maybe, I don't know what motivates people. But I think about my own life, and every time I have put my trust in something other than Jesus, how it has let me down. Every time I have put my trust ultimately in something other than Christ, even something good like family, my wife, my whatever it is, people I love the most in this world, inevitably I'm let down. And I wonder why. And I realize that we are made in the image of God. And we were designed to pursue that community and that communion with God each and every day. 
because families fall apart. Success comes and goes. There's only one thing that lasts the duration of this life and the life to come. And that is this community with God. That is the image of God through Christ that walked this earth and gave his very life so that you would have the inheritance you do not deserve. And if we find our motivation in that truth, if we get out of bed in the morning for that truth, then we will never be let down then the darkness of this world cannot affect us. Yes, the darkness will come, but Christ gives us light. And that is our goal. And if you think about your evangelism and your ministry to this world, that is your goal. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to have this book memorized. It'd be great if you could, but I'm trying and it's very difficult. You have to find a way to let other people know that there is a God who loves them and that he should be their motivation. Through Christ, he offered them freedom from the dominion of darkness. We have to know in our humility daily that we have failed, that we have not lived up to this image God placed inside of us, but that that is okay. Because when we seek repentance, God offers forgiveness. And without knowing Christ, we cannot find these things we're seeking. And those things that motivate us may be good things. You may desire to be honest. You may desire to be the best teacher and the best parent you can be. And that's all wonderful and that's all good. But if it is not centered at this image of God through Jesus Christ, it will let you down. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the image of God. Jesus is our example. Jesus is our motivation and our forgiveness and our humility, which is why today we celebrate this day, the epiphany, when when the Magi came and and, and saw Jesus. It's It's like a physical representation of Jesus presenting himself, not just to Jews, but also to Gentiles, that he would be a God to all. And here we find ourselves. We have seen the birth of our Lord, We have had Advent. We had celebrated Christmas. And now here we are. We have come to worship him. And we must choose whether this actually is the image of God offering redemption and freedom from darkness or whether we will find trust in ourselves and our own gifts or if we will trust that God sent Christ that we would trust him, his goodness, in his image that we would share with our friends, that we would share with our neighbors, and that when they ask us, why in the world do you act that way? We say, because my motivation is the one thing that can never let me down. My motivation is the one thing that won't ever leave. The thing that gets me out of bed in the morning is the one thing that I know will be there for me at the end of every single day. And that is the image of God. And Christ has said, I offer this to you. I give you the inheritance for me. We have to decide what to do with it. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the image of Christ. Lord, we thank you for for not only who Christ was, but who he still is. A God who knows and loves us deeply a physical representation of the God of the universe who made each and every one of us intricately 
in our mother's womb, who knows each one of the hairs on our heads and calls us by name. May our motivation be found in you. And Lord, let we build one another up in the church, in the world, that others would find a motivation that will not fail, that others would find something that they can live for that will never let them down. Lord, seek after others as you sought after us and use us to share this truth with your world. Lord, we pray this in the matchless and holy and powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.